Tonight on the West Coast Gospel Hour, do you want to gain the whole world or do you want to gain your eternity? That's right, eternal life. We're talking about it. That's next here on Fig Tree Watchers. So stay tuned as we go through the Gospel of Mark. Welcome everyone. And um, tonight's passage is uh, definitely one you're going to want to stick around for as we continue in our series here through uh, the Gospel of Mark. Hope you all had a fantastic Sunday and a great week. May uh, I hope that uh, God blessed you richly. I hope this is a week in which you're diving into the Word of God, that you take your Sunday that you have made holy and you proceed throughout the week, making each day the Lord's day by beginning in prayer and scripture, by diving in the Word of God, examining your heart before the Lord and asking how He wants to change you, how He wants to transform you. This is what we need to do as Christians, is examine our hearts before the Lord. I think it's so important that we love one another, we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. What does that mean to you? How do you do that? How does that get accomplished in your walk with God? It starts simply by surrendering to the Lord, by examining your heart and asking God what He wants to remove. I think this is the most critical thing that we can do as believers in turning our heart over the Lord each and every day, not for the renewal of salvation. We're saved, we're secure in that. But for the purpose of letting God refine us as through a fire, preparing our hearts and our minds before the Lord so that He can change us. So that we will wait in anticipation of that day when Christ returns. Because Christ who is our life, when He appears, we will appear with Him in glory. Amen. Well, I tell you what, I um, so appreciate uh, you all coming on tonight, and uh, we just want to thank you for joining us tonight here on Fig Tree Watchers. Well, let's get started with prayer. Uh, tonight's Bible study, uh, we're going to be going through Mark 10, 23 through 34, and um uh, I, I see someone's asked to join the live. Um, we don't do that on, on Monday nights. Uh, I give an opportunity on that on Thursday nights if you want to join the live. And let's begin with prayer, though, okay? Dear Lord Jesus, uh, we just come to you, God, and we ask that, Lord, your scripture, your word would penetrate our hearts and our minds, God, that we might be transformed more into your image, God, and our mind would be renewed. We ask you, Lord, to lead us through your Holy Spirit to all truth. 
that God, we may know the things that you want us to understand. And we thank you, God, that you love us and that you sent Jesus to die for us. May we live a life accordingly that glorifies your name. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, uh, this is um, such a great passage that we're in right now, which is Mark 10, verses 23 through 34. Let's begin with the scripture reading. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. And Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now at this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in this age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now they were on the road going to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. May the Lord bless the reading of his scripture. And so um, tonight uh, we are having an interesting discussion. Uh, it, it is it is kind of uh, one of those ones where we're, we're talking about the, the big question is, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And that's what we need to ask. That's what we're asking tonight. And we need to dig deep in this tonight. So let's unpack the scriptures. When Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at this words. Why were they astonished at what Jesus was asking them? Um, well, quite simple. Uh, they had a wrong view of the, um, they had a very wrong view of what was taking place uh, in, in their time frame. Today, we have a 
false theology that's running around called the prosperity gospel. And in that time frame, they had a similar view. And that view was, well, if we obey the commandments of God as Jews, God is going to bless us. And that was kind of a misguided view of their time. And I want you to, to pay attention to this because where did they get this view? Well, they got this view from Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. And what we want to do is we want to look at it. So let's pull this up and we're going to examine the scripture in front of us. In Deuteronomy, it says the following. And I apologize. Um, Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I commanded you today, that the Lord your God will set uh, you high above all the nations on the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of the, your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock. Blessed shall your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall uh, you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Now we can go on and, and, and keep on reading, but we get the general gist of this conversation that God is having with the people of Israel. And so they thought very uh, intrinsically that, you know what, wealth, prosperity and wealth meant that you were obeying God's commandment. That's exactly what they thought. So when Jesus is saying this question to them in verse 23, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? Their misguided view was very much like the prosperity gospel today. Their misguided view was, well, if they have riches, they must be blessed by God because they're obeying his commandments. And that wasn't necessarily the truth. In fact, Job, uh, he writes these words down. And I think it's important for us to listen to this. Job in uh, 31, verse starting in verse 24, says the following. I have... May, if I have made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much. If I had observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in brightness so that my heart has been sec uh, secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand. This also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment. For I would have denied God who is above. And this is important to understand. He's saying, look, if I have made gold my hope, uh, if or said to find gold, you are my confidence, then, then I've denied God in this. I've denied God in this. So the idea that Job gave was very strongly, hey, having riches doesn't make you um, mean that you're blessed from God. In fact, the riches can actually cause destruction among you. They can actually, 
distract you into thinking that you're you're um, blessed by God and when you're actually not because you're in sin. Now, this is important because 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10 says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptations, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So when Jesus is saying this to them, he's asking, and they're astonished. They're astonished because of a wrong belief that they have inherited from generations past. They've adopted something that is actually incorrect. And we need to understand this. And so here comes the next passage of scripture that I think is important. Um, and that is what Jesus then says in verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, what does this mean? What is this referring to? Well, this is really important because what is happening here is that Jesus is referring to a narrow gate in Jerusalem in which the camel would have to kneel down in order to have its burden removed. Now, what does that mean for you as a believer? Well, it means that to to humble yourself before God, right? Jesus is saying, you're going to have to humble yourself before God, kneel before the cross of Jesus, and let your burden be removed from your your back. And remember, when you can always see these among the Bedouins today, when they load up the camels uh, out in the deserts of Arabia, you see that the, the burden, the pack, is higher than the camel's head itself, right? They can load an enormous amount on these camels. So to go to the gate that was called the eye of the needle meant that the camel had to lower itself down to its knees to have its burden removed. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. To enter into the kingdom of God, you need to come to your knees and you need to have your burden removed. Are you willing to come to the foot of the cross to surrender to Jesus to have your burden removed? Or are you still holding on to some of your burden? This is, I mean this, a lot of us as believers, we're holding on to the burden unnecessarily. We're grasping onto it when what we need to do is come to the foot of the cross and ask Jesus to take our burden, to take it away. And so when Jesus says this in verse 26, they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, well, who then can be saved? If the rich can't be saved, because obviously they're not blessed by God, it's a false blessing that we've wrongly thought of in our theology, who can, who can actually be saved? Who is the one that can actually come and enter into the kingdom of God? Now, Paul understands this. In Hebrews 13, 5, he said, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. See, what is it that Jesus is describing here is, it's me. I am the one that provides you the bread of life. I am the one who provides you living water. I am the one who will sustain you. I am faithful and I will do all things, right? And so what do we get from that is it's not putting, you're surrounding yourself with the things of this world, right? 
John, the disciple, wrote this in 1 John 2, 15-17. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay? It's the first part. This is so important to understand. The love of the Father is not in him. Okay? Then the second part. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father but is from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So it's the one who does the will of God. Well, what is the will of God? That all men everywhere would be saved. And how are you saved? You're saved by believing in Jesus Christ, right? For godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. What is that salvation? By believing in Jesus, right? Believing in Jesus. That Christ died for your sins. He paid the ultimate price. So you come to the cross, you release your burden and your godly sorrow, you repent of it. You ask God to take that burden and you say, I believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I confess that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 8 through 11, you will be saved and you will never be put to shame. Do you understand that? And that's why Jesus replies in verse 27. He says this, but Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible to be saved, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Jesus is saying that your salvation on your own works, it doesn't work. It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't save yourself. But with God, all things are possible. This is reminiscent of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not on your own, not by works, so that no man can boast. Why? Because you're, it's the work of God. For those of you who uh, don't know this, I, I did a post called um, The Biblical Congruency of Godly Sorrow. You can find it up on figtreewatchers.com. But what is important in understanding in that post that I, I hope I made abundantly clear is that God does the work of godly sorrow in our life. God brought the Holy Spirit, according to, to John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit came into the world. Why? To convict the world of sin. Why? Because the world does not believe in him before at all. For any reason. So God said, okay, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin. Why? Because you don't believe in, in Jesus. To convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And it's so important that we understand this. Because that is what God does to create a godly sorrow that produces the repentance that causes us to come to our knees at the needle, the eye of the needle, and release our burden by having Jesus take it. And Peter said to him, see, we've left it all, Lord, and followed you. Peter understood at that moment, he had that glimpse at that moment, 
it was a, a fleeting glimpse because we know he denies Jesus in a few chapters after this. But he had that glimpse there and understanding. Jesus, I've left everything for you. I've left my family. I've left it all. And I followed you. I gave up being a fisherman. I gave up my wealth of my fishing business. I gave it up. I left everything behind and followed you. And that's the mark of a disciple. The question is, are you willing to be that mark of the disciple? Or are you still holding on to some of the burden so that you can't pass through the eye of the needle? Are you maybe not bending your knee and allowing the burden to be taken off of you? Or maybe it's some of the burden you're still holding on to. Maybe it's resentment that you're holding on to. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's a trauma that you endured when you were younger that you've not yet given to the Lord because you're angry. So maybe it's your anger that you're holding on to. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's worry. Maybe you're worried about you know, your children so much that you can't even release them to the Lord. And God is saying, no, give me everything, surrender everything to me and trust me. I am faithful and I will do it, the Lord says. Colossians 3.2 says, this, set your mind on things that are above and not on the things of this earth. And it it's one of the, my favorite passages because it's so clear that if you think about it for a moment, listen to what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you're already saved, if you've given up your burden, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. But here's that important phrase that everyone forgets about. When Christ, who is your life, is Jesus your whole life of every moment of every day? Or have you put other things before him? Have you surrendered all things to Jesus? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of those things, the wrath of God is coming, right? Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven for all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What are you suppressing? What are you not willing to bend your knee to? What are you holding on to in your burden before the eye of the needle? These are the questions that you need to examine in your heart. And then we have... Um, the clear understanding that I think God gives us, and that's Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So when Peter said this to him, Jesus responds and he says, Assuredly, I tell you that there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, right? Saying that you're going to endure all that with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So he's saying that in the age to come. Now that's interesting. In the age to come. What does that mean in the age to come? I think the best way to understand the age to come is very clearly is that he's referring to after the age of grace, the millennial reign of Christ. Why? Because it's in that millennial reign, those who suffer now before the, the rapture um, and, and before the end of the tribulation, uh, they'll be reigning with eternal life. Those who are believers in Jesus Christ. So the tribulation saints will have eternal life. Uh, the the pre-rapture saints will have eternal life. They will have endured the persecutions of this world because they left everything behind for Jesus. And in the coming age is eternal life. It's the millennial reign, the thousand year reign and after. They will have eternal life. The question is, really, that I asked at the beginning, are you wanting the things of this world or are you wanting eternal life? What is it that you're seeking after? And then Jesus says something really important in verse 31. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. What Jesus is describing there is the need to be a servant to all. Be a servant. Look, if you want to figure this out, Jesus is saying, it's loving God and loving others. It's not about the wealth. It's not about the things of this world. It's about loving God and loving others. It's about putting everything aside for the sake of others that we have a mission to accomplish as believers. You know, and that is to bring the gospel message and to love one another. And I love this from Rav Shear. She's given this verse, but sanctify Christ as Lord is in your hearts always, being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That's from 1 Peter 3.15. Amen. That's a great verse. Thank you for sharing that, Rav Shear. Now in, in verse 32, Jesus, we're at a different scene here. And they're on the road going to Jerusalem. And Jesus was going before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. It's interesting because they knew something was up. Something ominous was about to happen. And they, so Jesus, he took the 12 aside and he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus is referring to them and telling them, look, 
Remember what I told you? That with man, it's impossible to be saved. But not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Jesus is now telling him that that possible act is about to happen. Because Jesus is about to give up his life and become a ransom for the many. For God showed his love to us that while Christ was, uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yet to be born, Jesus at that moment was telling the disciples, look, this is what's going to happen. He's prophesying over the events that are about to take place in Jerusalem. He's going to be betrayed by one of his own, Judas. He's going to be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, the very people that he came to and did not recognize him. They rejected him. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, to the Romans. And the Romans, they will mock him, they will scourge him, they will spit on him, and they will kill him. But Jesus is giving them hope. And the third day, he will rise again. Third day, Jesus is saying, I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day. But I'm going to have to endure being betrayed, condemned to death, innocent, being handed over to the Gentiles. The Jewish people themselves are not even going to kill me. By the way, this is important to understand in your scripture. You know, a lot of people have said over the years, the Jews killed Jesus. Actually, the Jews condemned him to death and they handed him over to the Gentiles. And listen to what Jesus is telling you. The Gentiles will be the ones who will mock him, scourge him, and spit on him and kill him. It was the Romans that ultimately did it. You see, because we're all guilty of killing Jesus. Both Jew and Greek are guilty of killing Jesus. It's not just the Jew. It's not just the Gentile. It's all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What is it? Our eternal life comes from what Christ endured at the hands of Jews and Gentiles. Both. Betrayal of his own kind. Condemned to death. Handed over to the Gentiles, the unclean. Who took him out of the city and and mocked him, and scourged him, and spit on him, and killed him. Jew and Gentile alike, guilty of the crime. And Christ died for all. He died for all. He died for all. So when someone says, well, I belong to this group or I belong to that group and we're really the saved Christians and you're not, the answer is really easy. No, but we all killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. I killed Jesus with my sin. And Jew and Greek, Gentile, 
are both culpable for the murder of Jesus Christ. It's what the scripture says. Right? He'd be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they, who's they? The Gentiles will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. Do you take that seriously in your walk with Jesus? Do you think about what your sins did to an innocent man, to God himself, who became flesh and dwelt among us? Do you think about what it means to have Jesus as your mediator between you and God? who was tempted in every way yet did not sin, was perfect in all his means. Are you willing to be mocked for Jesus? Are you willing to be beaten for Jesus? Are you willing to be spit on for Jesus? And are you willing to be killed for Jesus? Because on the third day, Jesus arose And that resurrection that we believe in is so important because we too will be resurrected. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will be resurrected. We will be given a new body. And it is in that belief of knowing that we will be resurrected. We can trust it because Jesus was resurrected. We can trust that belief because Jesus himself rose from the dead and he was given a new body, new apparel. So our belief is not in a dead Jesus. It's in a risen Jesus. We love Palm Sunday. We celebrate it because it's the proof that God exists. We love Good Friday because we know that the price that Jesus had to pay had to happen so that we could have eternal life. But we forget that Easter Sunday, it's the resurrection. It's when Satan was defeated and death lost its sting. The grave lost its victory over us who believe in Jesus. I want you to contemplate in your life what your burden is that you're holding on to. I want you to take it to the cross of Jesus. And I want you to ask Jesus to forgive you. And maybe that's the one thing that's keeping you from having an effective walk with Jesus. It might be, like I said, resentment. It may be a trauma you faced. It may be anger that you have. It may be the things that you're holding on to in this world. Wealth, pride. But understand that although it seems impossible, God did the impossible. He accomplished all things. And you just need to believe.
You just need to believe. I know this is a short study, but I felt like this was really important tonight. Because it's so important that we understand that Jesus did everything. He accomplished it all. It's so important for us as we're looking through this gospel mark to, to understand that we can release our burden. And some of you, you've been saved for a while. You're saved, but you're still holding on to baggage. And I, I'm, I'm begging and pleading with you, get rid of that baggage. Remove it. Allow Jesus to take it off of you. Allow Jesus to cleanse you from that pain and suffering that you're enduring. Whether it's depression, whether it's the, 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 the things of this world that are plaguing you down like illnesses or, or disease. Give it to Jesus. Let me share one thing with you. I'm going to jump ahead to Mark 11. I know we're not there, but I just want to read Mark 11, 23. Starting in verse 22, because this is the verse that everyone ignores when they quote this passage. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. So Jesus answered them and said, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And then he goes on and he says, but when you stand praying, if you have any, anything against anyone, forgive them that your father in heaven may also forgive you of your trespasses. I want you to understand something. When you're reading that passage, nowhere does it say faith moves mountains. In fact, if you go look at the other passage in, in the other gospels like Matthew and so forth, it doesn't say Faith moves mountains. But we keep throwing that phrase out there. It says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Surely I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be removed, meaning speaks to the mountain, be removed. We speak to the mountain. In fact, in, in Matthew, it says, speak to the mountain. And then he says, look, if you have faith like a mustard seed, what is he saying there? If you're like a newborn Christian, God's going to answer your prayers. Because you're a newborn or if you're the grizzly old mustard tree. What does that mean? If you're a brand new Christian or if you're like Paul and Peter, the grizzly old mustard tree. God's going to answer and, and move the mountain because he's spoken to it. But what's the key for both passages? Have faith in God. Believe on Christ. It's not your faith that moves the mountains. No, it's you speaking to the mountain because you have faith in God. But we misunderstand this passage. We sing songs about faith moves mountains. And it, it never says that. Because you have to believe in God. You have to believe in Jesus. And the one who has faith in God is accounted righteous. And God will move the mountain because you spoke to it. God will accomplish it if it's in his will. Sometimes we ask things that are not in his will. So I, I want to say this to you because it's so important. 
That that burden that you're holding on to, you're crying out to the Lord and you're still trying to grip it. And you're trying to go through the eye of the needle with this huge backpack on your back. So I just hit my arm and smashed it. And you're, and you're like, God, I'm trying to get to the, the eye of the needle, but you're not willing to give Jesus everything. And it's ridiculous. I mean, think about it. It's absolutely the stupidest thing you've ever done in your life. It's so obvious to us all. When we think about it, we go in moment. Yeah, he's right. Why am I holding on to this? Why am I holding on to this depression? Why am I holding on to this, this need to have these things in my house and wealth and everything? I remember when I came to this realization in my own life, which was my addiction to video games. And I realized that I was losing my marriage. I was wrecking my marriage. It, it, was, it was almost finished. And I came to it and I was like, wait a moment. When I look back, what is it that I really want? Am I gonna be so happy with all the hours I spent on video games? Or am I gonna regret my marriage falling apart? And I was like, Lord, you can have this addiction. You can take it. And I, I even told God, I said, God, I'm really weak. I need you to take this addiction from me because I want to save my marriage. I know that you don't hate divorce. So God, I'm asking you, if you really hate divorce, I need you to like kill this addiction in me. I, I need it dead. I don't want any part of this addiction. And to this day, there's no video games in my house. I don't even have one on my phone. I don't have any games on my phone. Because I wanted to give that burden up. And I could give you all the reasons, all the excuses I had about why I needed to play video games. I was stressed. I needed time to relax. I tell you what, I'm a lot more relaxed now than I was with video games. In fact, video games actually made me angry and I was depressed all the time. And I tell people all the time, look, you want to fix your relationship with the Lord right now? Get rid of your video games. Get rid of them because you don't have time for Jesus because you're too busy playing video games. I think video game addiction is one of the biggest issues affecting this country. I think it's where a lot of the demonic stuff is coming into. I, I, I see it all the time with lust. Guys talking about lust and I'm like, well, how many video games do you play? I ask that question all the time of young men who message me and go, I'm struggling with lust. Really? Um, when was the last time you played a video game? First question I ask every time. And they look at me like, what? I'm like, yeah, I, I used to be there. I know what that does. And, and a light bulb goes off in their brain. They're like, oh, I didn't realize they were tied together. Yeah. And then you're suffering from depression, right? Yeah. How'd you know? Because you're playing video games. Because your focus isn't on Jesus. You're holding on to things. You want God to be the most important thing in your life, but you're not willing to give up your addiction. And it's the same with it's alcohol. And I, someone's asked me the question, did you have to ask God to take it from you multiple times? I did, but when he finally broke it from me was when I realized it was a sin and I confessed it as a sin to him. When I stopped making excuses and I said, okay, God, this is a sin. 
It's wrecking my marriage. It's wrecking my relationship with you. And I hate it. I hate the sin now. I think God had to make me so sick and, and put me to a point where I was going to lose everything in my, that was important in my life. Where I went, it's a sin. And so from that point forward, I saw every time I picked up the video game as a sin. Every time. And so for me, just one game is a sin against God. Because it's five minutes I can't spend with my family or with, with, or with um, him. And I love God and I love others. That's my commandment, right? From God, love God, love others. So I can't do that while playing a video game, shooting someone. <laughs> you think about the insane. Oh, you're, you're spending time with your kids. Yeah, shooting them, right? Because almost every video game involves shooting now, right? I mean, seriously, it, it makes no sense. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, take our burdens, O Lord, because they are heavy. Lord, they're hanging on our necks. They're burning us down. They're breaking us. And Lord, we can't get through the eye of the needle unless we submit to you, O God, fall on our knees. We resist the devil Lord, by, by submitting to you, it says in the scripture. But Lord, these, these burdens that we have, and some of them aren't just addictions. Some of them are traumas that we hold on to, anger that we have, resentment that we're holding on to. Some of it's coveting. We have idols. Some of us love America more than we love you. Yes, God, we're to honor our country and honor the leaders, but sometimes we put an addict, we put a, a covet in front of you and we don't even realize it. God, help us to become refined by your fire. That we become like refined gold and silver in which the image seen by you, O Lord, is not us anymore, but it's you. God, I am the worst at this, Lord. Chief among the sinners. And so, God, I, I ask you too, Lord, if there's any hindrance in my heart, God, that you would remove it. If there's anything that's keeping me separated from you, worries that I have, anxieties that I have, O oh Lord, over finances or work, I pray, O oh God, that you would remove them. And on bended knee, I cry out to you and say, Lord, I humbly ask you, God, to help me. And I pray that those who pray this in their heart today with me, that the burden would be removed in the name of Jesus. That addictions would be broken in the name of Jesus. The traumas would be healed in the name of Jesus. That depression would be gone in the name of Jesus. That desires for covetousness lusts of the flesh would be gone in the name of Jesus.
and that all that would remain would be the love of God in our hearts. And that we would have a supernatural love in our hearts for you, O God, and for others. And that we would be transformed and renewed in our mind. And that the Spirit of Christ would abide in us and we in you. We ask this, O Lord, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our rock, our strong tower, and we run into it and is safe. We ask this, O Lord, because we ask to be in your will. For with men, everything's impossible, but for you, O God, all things are possible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all. Uh, just a quick reminder, tomorrow night we'll be on uh, 1 Samuel. And then on Thursday night, uh, Topical Thursday. And then we'll be back in on Friday with Io from Mimitsu Study. And then Saturday will be Saturday Apologetics. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And uh, we want to also remind you that you can listen to the replay of this broadcast here on Instagram. You can watch it or you can listen to it on all the major podcast platforms. Good night, everyone, and God bless you. Take care.